The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To the Bruce Exclusive, I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. This is a Buffalo Rumblings podcast, and we are back. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back to go through another football myth. Yesterday, we talked about why the idea that there is some semblance of a strong correlation or even an equivalency between receiver height And red zone and goal line effectiveness is a load of nonsense. It's just not true. You know what does correlate with red zone effectiveness and goal line effectiveness? Just plain effectiveness. Imagine that. Being good is still good when you're in the red zone. Who would have thought? A lot of people apparently might have thought differently, but Uncle Bruce is here to fight him. Uncle Bruce will have a few drinks, throw them back, yell at the bar. That's not really my thing. I'm much more of a, you know, roaring fireplace, good book, maybe a robe of some sort, very ornate, much more my style. But the point is that I hope that the argument was good enough to at least get you to think, even if you didn't necessarily come around to my line of thinking. I hope you can see where I'm coming from. Today, we're going to do a real quick one. We're going to tackle another myth real fast, and it's maybe low-hanging fruit, but there are some people out there who still believe it, and then we're going to get into your almighty takes of the week, and this myth is that the way to win football games in the NFL is to run the ball and stop the run. I hope that we don't have to have this conversation for super long, but The way you win in this NFL is to pass the ball and stop the pass, not run the ball and stop the run. I'm not saying that running the ball well is bad, and I'm not saying that stopping the run is bad. Being good at things is still good. 
but it's not the way you win games. It's not the important part of winning games. Old school football coaches, introductory press conferences, run the ball, stop the run, be aggressive, play tough defense, don't turn the ball over. Literally, I could have a bingo card made of old school football coaches and their introductory press conferences. I just want one time for a coach to say, okay, you know what? We're not really going to care that much about running the ball. We're going to try and pass the ball as much as humanly possible and effectively as we possibly can. And, you know, we're not going to be super aggressive. We're just kind of kind of let it come to us on defense. You know, keep things in front of us, be conservative. You know, I, you know, I really don't think that we're really going to get after the passer too much. I'm more of a coverage guy. I just want one person to say that and just see what the reactions would be. But no, instead we get fed the same thing over and over and over again, which is starting to turn in our NFL climate. And they say running the ball and stopping the run is a big part of winning games in the National Football League. And it's it's just not. Let's start with stopping the run. Here were your most effective run defenses last year in the NFL, ranked by yards per attempt against. The Buccaneers, the Jets, the Steelers, the Giants, the Raiders, the Bears, the Titans, the Lions, the Colts, the Rams. Those are the top 10. You see any absolute stud teams in that group? Well, maybe we'll go a little bit farther, right? The Eagles, the Cowboys, the Falcons, the Chargers, the Saints, the Broncos. Now we're at halfway point. So out of the top half of the league, the Saints were a good team last year the Eagles and Cowboys were decent teams borderline playoffs teams and the Titans went to the AFC championship everyone else was not a great football team last year stopping the run did not help them that's not to say stopping the run is bad it just doesn't correlate by itself oh what about the first part what about rushing offense? I remember the Ravens they were good at rushing offense the Titans they had Derrick Henry he was the leading rusher they were good Okay, so let's talk about that. These are the top rushing teams in the NFL in 2019 in terms of yards per attempt gained. The Ravens, the Titans. Okay, we're off to a good start. Both of them are playoff teams. They made runs. Cardinals, Cowboys, Browns, Giants, Panthers, 49ers, Super Bowl team, right? Seahawks, Texans, Vikings, Colts, Packers, Jaguars, Bills, Redskins. Okay. Not so great. Out of the top half, the Bills made the playoffs. That's good. The Texans made the playoffs. 49ers were a good team. Seahawks were a good team. Titans and Ravens were a good team. Well, that's not that bad, right? But why? Why were they a good team? Do you all remember what Derrick Henry's yards and yards per attempt looked like before Ryan Tannehill came in? Because we seem to forget that Derrick Henry, for the first part of 2019, was not off to a particularly strong start. But then Ryan Tannehill came in. So again, much like I've mentioned before, the data point matters. But, but, very important, that knowing why the data point existed is more important than the data point itself in a vacuum here are derrick henry's yards per attempt in each game leading up to 
The benching of Marcus Mariota, 4.42, 5 5.47, 2.59, 3.7, 3.9. Huh. Well, that's not great. At Denver, he was 1.87. Then all of a sudden, Ryan Tannehill starts to turn it on. And his yards per carry magically increased 4.09, for the rest of the regular season. It's a chicken and the egg conversation, but we know which one came first. Ryan Tannehill helped open it up for Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry wasn't opening it up for Ryan Tannehill. He was more effective when Ryan Tannehill came in because the most significant indicator of whether or not a running play will be successful is not the person carrying the ball. It's the amount of people he is running against. It's a basic math equation. The amount of people in the box is the number one predictor of how effective a running play will be. And people don't want to hear that because they want to invest you know, crazy money in running backs and things like that. But having a quarterback who can keep things out of the box matters. Having a quarterback who can make plays with his legs matters to be able to hold the backside defender on read option. Who was the number one team again? Oh, that's right. It was the Ravens. Running the ball and stopping the run is not what made the Ravens successful. Lamar Jackson had over 35 passing touchdowns and didn't really attempt that many passes last year. He was extremely effective throwing the ball. It wasn't just his legs that made the Baltimore Ravens offense go in 2019. Let's change it up because this argument doesn't say that running doesn't matter I made an entire argument as to why running backs do have value based on the fact that there are occasions where running the ball is going to give you a higher chance of success relative to what you consider to success to be on that play. I made an entire argument about that on running backs. Go back to buffalorumblings.com. Find my piece. Do running backs matter? I said, yeah, a little bit. That's what I said. And there are times when running the ball matters. I'm not saying running the ball effectively is bad. Doing anything effectively is better than not doing it effectively. That's obvious. What I'm saying is that passing and stopping the pass is more correlative to success than running and stopping the run. So in order to do that, I just showed you the correlation between good teams and running, stopping, and run. Now I'm going to show you the correlation between good teams and passing and stopping the pass. Let's go net yards per attempt. You guys know that I like net yards per attempt. Here are the top 16 teams. Cowboys, Chiefs, 49ers. So two and three are the Super Bowl teams. Buccaneers, Titans. Wait a second. I thought that Derrick Henry made the Titans go. They were fifth in the league in net yards per attempt because of how effective Ryan Tannehill was down the stretch. Vikings, Raiders, Saints, Chargers, Ravens again. Rams, Seahawks, Texans, Lions, Falcons, Browns. There are more good teams in the top half of that list than there were the top half of the other list with rushing. These are passing offenses. And the best passing offenses had a stronger correlation between good teams, playoff teams, 
and the good rushing offenses. That's not a 19 thing. Take any group of years that have statistical significance and you'll see the same thing. Well, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. The defensive side of the ball, let's go team defense and let's go net yards per attempt against. Number one, 49ers. Huh. So the 49ers were number one in pass defense against net yards per attempt and number three in net yards per attempt passing the ball. But I thought Kyle Shanahan was known for his rushing game. Well, he is. But it's a complimentary piece. And Kyle Shanahan's passing combat concepts are what allow his rushing game to be effective. In addition, he's an incredible use of motion. The 49ers, the Patriots, the Bills, the Steelers, the Chiefs, again. The Ravens, the Vikings, Saints, Cowboys, Rams, Bears, Jets, Buccaneers, Panthers, Browns, Packers. Yeah, there are some teams in there who weren't good. The Jets weren't super good. The Bears weren't super good. Buccaneers weren't super good. Panthers weren't very good. But 49ers, Super Bowl, Patriots, playoff, Bills, playoff. Steelers were fighting it out there for a playoff team. Chiefs, Super Bowl, Ravens, playoff. Vikings, playoff. Saints, playoff. All these teams were effective, and they're right there in the top eight in net yards per attempt against in 2019. There is a much stronger correlation between passing and stopping the pass and winning versus running and stopping the run and winning. Warren Sharp, who owns his own website, he is sharpanalytics.com. He ran regressions using data between 2011 and 2014 on yards per rush attempt and wins, total rushing yards and wins, and yards per pass attempt and wins. The only one that correlated with winning was yards per pass attempt and wins. That's it. There is no correlation between yards per rush and wins when controlled for other factors or total rushing yards and wins when controlled for other factors. Again, running is good. Being effective at doing things is good. Being effective running the ball is a good thing. Being effective stopping the run is a good thing. It's better than the alternative, which is not being good at those things. But it's not how you win in today's NFL. And it hasn't been for a while. And it won't be for the foreseeable future until the cycle comes back around again or the rules change. We are going to get into your almighty takes in just a second, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I am in the meantime going to hit this hashtag on Twitter, hit latest and get started. So stick with me. We'll be right back with your almighty takes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. And I hope you did, because if so, you're out of time, ladies and gentlemen, because I am going to hit this hashtag, Almighty Take. 
I'm searching Twitter right now for the almighty take. And I'm typing in, I'm hitting enter, and I'm going to latest, and I am finding the almighty takes. I like to do this off the cuff. I don't like to look over the almighty takes super significantly. I'll like them so that you can see that I saw it on Twitter. But I like to get a little bit more raw reaction. I think that's fun. If this was something where you were asking me a question, I wanted to give you a research answer, that'd be a different story. But I, we're kind of, you know, we're loosened up a little bit. So the first one comes from at Matt Chewy 28, who says, myth is defense wins championships. He used profilforreference.com. He said, going back the past 10 years, every Super Bowl winner except one was in the top 10 of offense. That outlier was the Manning Broncos. Balanced teams win championships. Absolutely, Matt. Having a defense is good, and it's better than not having a defense. But the correlation between defense and championships is not the same as the correlation between offenses and championships. And that's really important because that's really what the discussion has been about today. Nobody is saying running the ball effectively is bad. No one's saying having a good defense is bad. It's just not what correlates with winning as significantly as the alternative. So yes, I agree with Matt. At Bills Rock 12 says his biggest myth is if Buffalo drafted Patrick Mahomes, he would be the identical player. Fans make this assumption and it's just idiotic. Coaching, teammates, offensive philosophies, etc. play a major role in any player's success. I agree with that. Patrick Mahomes would still be good because I think the majority of what makes a quarterback good is the quarterback, not the environment. Now, the environment matters and he has a great environment in Kansas City. And Andy Reid is a great coach. He's a great offensive mind. And Patrick Mahomes went into a good place. But he would not be an identical player. He would be a better player. I think it's pretty fair to say he'd be better than Josh Allen right now. That's not a crazy take by any means. But he would absolutely not be the identical player. At Buff Hub says his almighty take is that Cam Newton to the Patriots was mostly an intel move. The reason I didn't talk about Cam Newton previously in this podcast or previously this week is because I saw this one and I knew we were going to have it. So I was going to have an opportunity to talk about Cam Newton, the Patriots. Cam Newton. I don't know if he's a, a high level quarterback, but I do know enough to know he's probably an upgrade from Jared Stidham. And that's all I need to know to not like it. All I need to know to not like it is the Patriots got better. I'll tell you what's a myth. Let's throw this out there. The myth is that Cam Newton hasn't been good since 15. No, I'm sorry. You're thinking of Josh Norman. That's the person you're thinking of. Cam Newton was good the last time he was healthy in the beginning of 18. He was playing well. I don't think Cam Newton is necessarily a top five quarterback in this league, maybe not even a top 10 quarterback in this league, but I know he's better than Jared Stidham. And my opinion of Jared Stidham was fairly low. And so for me, I'm not happy about this because the Patriots got better. He doesn't need to be excellent for the Patriots to be good. He just has to be decent for the Patriots to be good because the Patriots have a really good offensive line, a really good defensive backfield. And if they get reasonable play from their quarterback, and have a great coach, they can still be dangerous. And so that's why I'm not happy about it. My initial reaction on Twitter was Brian Fantana from the movie Anchorman going, well, that's just great. And that's pretty much how I feel about it. I do not think it was an Intel move, mostly. 
I think it was a competitive move. And I think he's going to get every opportunity to play meaningful snaps for the Patriots. And I don't think that Cam Newton would have signed if he thought that maybe it was an Intel motive. At the Bills Blues says football myth, the human face of Bruce Nolan, the host of the Bruce exclusive podcast actually exists in real life. You'll never know. You'll never know if I really exist. You'll never know what I really look like. I could be right next to you right now and you wouldn't know. This might not even be my real voice. I'm sneaky like that. At soul underscore Patchen says that his almighty take regarding the football myth is that there are no myths in football. All myths are reality based truths. The question is, are the past realities applicable to the current reality? Well, see, now we're just splitting hairs. Patch, we're just splitting hairs here, man. I defined myth on the Thursday pod as something that permeates either the football or the fan culture that isn't true. You're defining myth differently. You're defining myths based on reality-based truths. If it's not true at all times, then it's not truth. So this is a, a brucism. Truth is something... That is true in all situations, with all people, at all times. And if those three things aren't correct, then it's not really truth. It's situation. It's just advice at that point. It's just a good idea, but it's not truth. Truth is more meaningful than that. But, you know, in the absence of trying to go into all, you know, crazy philosophical content, we're going to move on. John Zabraki says... His almighty take is Buffalo is a blue-collar town in a bad weather, so we want a team that can run the ball. What we want are wins. AFC East title, home playoff game, and a playoff win. John, you are preaching to the choir, my good man. This nonsense about the weather makes me want to pull my hair out. When we drafted Josh Allen, I said, please don't say anything about the weather. Please don't say anything about the weather. Please don't say it. And then they did it. They said something about the weather. And I was like, oh, come on. Come on, people. Please, what's effective is passing and stopping the pass, and it does not matter. Those games where it's almost impossible to pass the ball because of how bad the weather is, those games come around once every couple of years. Only at home, only at certain times. And I would make an argument that in those games, teams that are more effective at passing the ball still have an upper hand. So I'm not... I'm I'm all the way I'm all the way out on that myth. I am with John. This Buffalo is a blue collar town, bad weather, you got to run the ball, play tough defense. No, the way you win in Buffalo is the same way you win in Kansas City, which is the same way you win in Green Bay. Which is the same way you win everywhere else in the United States. Or London, or Mexico City, or Toronto, Canada. Passing the ball and stopping the pass is more correlative to winning than running the ball and stopping the run. Matt Santoro at Cobra Hawk says the almighty take is Jimmy Hoffa was buried in the end zone of Giants Stadium. Haven't you already heard this? I already found the body of Jimmy Hoffa. It was all over the news. There was a, I had a kid hold the camera for me. It was a whole thing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, make sure you're watching the movie Bruce Almighty. Jeremy Gugino says Tom Brady is a dominant playoff QB. That's a myth. 89.8 89.8 quarterback rating, 277 yards a game, 63% completion percentage, seven yards per attempt, average margin of victory less than five points. Good, but far from dominant. Yeah, I'd say that. New England is a dominant playoff team. 
And part of that's because of Belichick. And they've gotten good play from their quarterback, for sure. But this idea that Tom Brady turns it on in the playoffs isn't necessarily true. The better teams win in the playoffs. Tom Brady has been particularly clutch in the playoffs. And we've established already, I've talked to you about this before, I do believe the clutch gene is a thing. Being clutch is a thing. Now, I don't think it matters as much as people think. If you score seven points in the first quarter, it's worth just as many points as seven points in the fourth quarter. But, yeah, I don't think Tom Brady is particularly dominant, more so than any other really good quarterback in the playoffs. At SuperTutor13 says... My almighty take is the myth that quarterbacks need to sit and watch for at least one season. I certainly used to subscribe to this myth, especially viewing Aaron Rodgers' development and Jim Kelly having multiple seasons to play in the USFL. But in 2020, this isn't a hard and fast rule anymore. When Josh Allen was drafted, I thought he needed to sit for two seasons. I'm glad that I was wrong about my former thoughts. Quarterbacks being drafted and playing well right away makes my old view a myth. I would agree with that, Jack. I am a proponent of throwing them in there and letting them learn on the job. One of the most effective competitive advantages in the NFL is a good quarterback on a rookie contract. You want to maximize that as long as humanly possible by not waiting until their third year. Plus, if you throw them in year three, you have a very small window to determine whether or not they're the guy before you have to pay them. And that leads to a larger margin of error because you have a smaller sample size. So yeah, I agree with that. Thomas Buck says, true football fans can't like football and soccer. Always resented this idiotic argument fueled by boomers and have rejected it for decades. Love apples and oranges. So apparently there's a myth out there that you can't like football and soccer. I did not realize this was a myth until Thomas said this. I have no idea how people came up with this myth. That's just dumb. Like whatever you want to like. My two great loves are football and MMA. Specifically UFC. So just let people like things. I'm with you, Thomas. Like what you want to like. You want to like football and soccer? Like football and soccer. Do it. At Sartre, S-A-R-T-R-E 11 says, His almighty take is the myth of how the name of the Washington team is not incredibly prejudicial toward a race of people Europeans committed a genocide towards and really needs to be changed or that defense wins championships. Got a little bit of levity there at the end. Yes, we've already established defense winning championships is uncommon, and the correlation between defense and winning championships is not as strong as the correlation between offense and winning championships. Regarding the Washington name, I think the old name, which was the Braves, is way cooler than the new name. So yeah, I'd absolutely change it back. Nate the Cheeseburger Walrus at Burgers MMA. Man, that, 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 that's just a really good thing all around. Nathan Cheeseburger Wallace, Walrus, great name, at Burgers MMA. I like MMA, and I love burgers. So already, you know, we're kindred spirits, Nate. His almighty take for the football myth is this. The 40-yard dash time is a useful tool. He says, totally false. Has nothing to do with shaking off the opposition, sidestepping, running routes, or actually catching the ball. It's just a number for bragging rights. I think it matters a lot more at certain positions than others. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to disagree with the take. I do think it's useful. It might sometimes be overrated. But there is a significant correlation, specifically with corners, between 40 times and effectiveness. When someone runs a 4-6-6, as Levi Wallace, Josh Norman, in that range, when they run in the 4-6s, 
they're probably not going to have a sustained success in the NFL. They might have one or two good seasons, but the vast majority of the time, defensive backs who run poorly play poorly because you have to be able to run. Now, there are other positions where I don't care about it as much. I don't care about it nearly as much with running backs. I've talked about this before, as I do with wide receivers and with corners. Because wide receivers and corners and safeties are going to be running 40 yards in a straight line on occasion. And so the 10-yard split part of the 40-yard dash time is a lot more important for linebackers, for tight ends, the ability to accelerate. And I do think acceleration matters. It's about your ability to get on top of a defensive player. Recovery speed matters. So I want to say it's I'm against this take because I do think it can be useful. I do think it's a useful duel. Now, it's not the end-all and be-all, but I do think it can be a useful tool. At Leston T. Harris says, Their almighty take is icing the kicker is a myth. Kickers have consistent and unbreakable routines they follow for every kickoff. If anything, the ones affected by the timeout are the holder and the snapper. I would love to do some research on this, Leston. I really would. I would love to dig into whether or not icing the kicker actually has any effect on things whatsoever, but it's really hard because the plays where the kicker gets iced and they end up kicking the ball and then it doesn't count, those plays basically never happened. So it's hard to track how they did. So that'd be really difficult for me to find out. I am going to go and say that that I think that's true. I think icing the kicker is probably a a myth. I don't think that it's something that if you were to look at the numbers, if you were to be able to attain them, my guess, my hypothesis at this point, not knowing and not being able to attain any of that data would be that icing the kicker is a miss. I would agree with you. Bill's Mr. E says, a myth or superstition we are all victims of. If the TV broadcast shows or says a fact on air, the opposite will happen on the team's next opportunity to do so, i.e., It's told, hey, a kicker hasn't missed a field goal in 35 straight attempts, misses the next one. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's more, I feel like it should be Alanis Morissette. Isn't it ironic popping up? That's more irony than a myth. But yes, I agree with that. That happens all the time. I fully recognize that this is a cop-out. But the winner of the almighty take of the week is going to be at Matt Shuey 28 for his take that defenses don't win championships. Mostly because the pod was in a lot of ways about that. Now, passing and stopping the pass. So it's it's pod topic adjacent is his take. Because I think it's a good one. And I think it's one we need to make sure we're talking about. So congratulations, Matt. You win oh, 897 Bruce Bucks. They are completely useless. Do with that what you will. Ladies and gentlemen, that is everything. That is all your almighty takes for the week. Thank you so much for joining me this week for these two episodes of the Bruce Exclusive. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope these were fun and I hope they were thought-provoking. And if they're those two things, that's great. Do me a favor if you would. Go to the Apple Store and write in a review for the Bruce Exclusive. Tell me what you think of what I've been doing over the last month or so. If you've been enjoying it, if it's been fun and thought-provoking, put that in there. It means a lot to me to be able to see that kind of feedback. 
And I really, I really appreciate that. Rate, review, subscribe, share the podcast with people you know. I appreciate everything you guys do for me. And I will continue to work hard to bring you this every week. Because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Runners.